Hi, bozos. How are you today? Great. My name is Bailey Sarian, if you don't know, and today is Monday, which means it's Murder Mystery Makeup Monday, of course. So today's story is pretty brutal. Um, they're all pretty brutal, but like, oof, brute. So just a little disclaimer, you know, today's story is wild. It's like a crime within a crime on top of a crime. So much crime happening. And the worst part of all, a lot of it is just like, wrong place, wrong time type of situations happening. And like, that's truly just the fucking worst, right? It kept me up this one. Cause I was like, God damn. There's two men at the very center of like all the crimes that take place in today's story. And they are a part of, or they were a part of the air force. So at the very center of all these crimes were two men. One guy, his name was Dale Pierre. And the other guy was William Andrews. Now, right off the bad. There really isn't much like information about their childhood or how they grew up. There just really isn't much information about these guys, but I'll tell you what I did find, you know? So let's start with Dale Pierre. He was born in 1952 in the Caribbean nation of Trinidad and Tobago. Dale spent most of his childhood growing up there. And then in 1970, the family would like up and move to New York and Dale would end up living in Brooklyn. Now, there were some people who said that Dale was known as um, a bit of a jerk, especially as a kid, like he was a bratty kid. In 1973, Dale decided to join the United States Air Force, and he was assigned to be stationed at Hill Air Force Base in Utah. So while he's there, he's working as a helicopter mechanic. Very important job. You know, you need a helicopter mechanic, great. But right from the start, like something was, weird things would happen around around Dale. Just weird, suspicious things, okay? So for example, the very first week Dale arrived at the Air Force base, a murder had taken place. The first week he's there. It's very interesting, let me tell you about it. So there was a sergeant and he went by the name of Edward Jefferson. He was also living on the base, right? He's a sergeant, great. So he was found murdered in his apartment. How was he murdered, you're probably wondering. Bayonet, right through the eye. A bayonet is a blade that like is fixed to the muzzle of a rifle and it's used to stab an opponent in hand-to-hand -hand fighting. I think people use it for spear fishing. Am I right? I could be wrong. I, I didn't look much into the bayonet itself and who uses it. From my understanding, it's not used as much like anymore, but um, I could be completely wrong. But what I'm getting at, a bayonet did not belong in that sergeant's eye. So the murder scene, a little suspicious. And it was obvious to detectives that it was an intentional attack. So people are talking around the base and word had gotten out that Sergeant Edwards and Dale were actually hanging around at Sergeant Edwards' place when Edwards had noticed that the keys to his apartment went missing. But this was only happening when Dale came over. The Sergeant, he confronts Dale saying like, I literally just saw you put my keys into your pocket. Like I just watched you do that because I guess allegedly he did indeed like accuse Dale of taking his keys. So the two of them, they get into some kind of verbal disagreement. But in the end, Sergeant Edwards was left feeling quite uncomfortable with like the whole situation. So he decides to change 
uh, the locks on his front door. So he goes as far as changing the locks, which I feel like says a lot in itself, right? It wouldn't take long after for the Sergeant Edwards to be found murdered in his place with the bayonet. Now, there was no direct evidence at the, at the crime scene that was linking Dale to the crime, but most people on base thought it was him, which it's like, okay, yeah, take, take that with a grain of salt, but like there seemed to be a lot of circumstantial evidence, but no arrest could be made on that alone. So that crime just was left unsolved, right? So people on base are feeling pretty uncomfortable with this guy, Dale. Many of them kind of just separate themselves from him because obviously like they're thinking something ain't right there. I don't want to be associated with the guy, but that didn't bother Dale. <laughs> He's like, whatever, I don't need friends. But it was said that Dale really struggled to fall in line with the US military and would find himself in trouble pretty often. A lot of small things to you and I, but are they? I don't know. Like for example, um, Dale would fail to report to duty, which bad. No. And then Dale was also caught writing a bad check. Not just once though, he did it two different times. And then on top of that, he was accused of stealing someone's car off base. So Dale, it's not working out for you too well over there, is it? No. They really should have placed him in some kind of like hacking mission or I don't know. Actually, he probably should have been in jail because he killed someone with a bayonet allegedly. Now I know what you're thinking at home because I was thinking the same thing. Like why in the hell are they not kicking him out of the Air Force, right? Like, right? But there is a record that his commander did try to get him an honorable discharge, which was like question mark. You know, it didn't make any sense, but some commander like wrote in some letter trying to get him an honorable discharge. I mean, maybe this commander saw something in Dale that nobody else did, or maybe he knew something that no one else knew. I don't understand, but okay. All right. Dale wasn't liked very much. He was weird. He was sketchy and people just didn't want to associate with the guy, but he did make one friend, just one friend, his name, was William Andrews. Oh yeah. William and Dale were buds. They were cool. They talked. So let me tell you about William a little bit. William was born in Virginia in 1953. His mother and father were not really around and he and his brothers were raised by his older sister. Her name was Audrey, but Audrey was just a kid too. I mean, she was only 14 years old when Will was born. It's just sad because it's a child raising a child, you know, or children because she was taking care of the whole family, but Will and Audrey were very, very close. I mean, she raised him, so, you know, close relationship. She, Audrey, would describe Will as someone who never got into fights. He kept his head down, minded his own business. Uh, he was like a just a really solid guy who didn't get bothered by much of anything. Will would also end up being stationed at the same Air Force base as Dale, and he too worked as a helicopter mechanic. Now for Dale, it was a lot different. It was said that he was well-liked. He made friends really easily. He was nice. Some would say he, he was a little too nice. It seemed like nothing ever bad was said about Will, but we're here, so like, you know, maybe he was good at keeping secrets. 
So while stationed on the base, Dale was continuing on with his petty crimes and it got to a point where he just wanted more. I feel like we hear this all the time in like murder mystery stories where like it starts off small, but then it progresses and gets more intense to the point where they just go, wow, you know, it's like, wow, that took a sharp left into murder town, you know? So Dale is still doing all of his little petty crimes and he's just kind of like getting bored. And he wanted to commit some kind of crime that would really pay off financially and would make him just rich and live comfortably or something. So he decides his best bet is to rob a store that sells expensive stuff. So, you know, they could get some money, get some products and, and, and then resell them or whatever. Dale knows about this independent electronics store in Ogden. Ogden, Utah. This independent electronics store is called, or was called the Hi-Fi Shop. So this store carried some of like the finest stereo equipment in town. And like Dale was like looking at that place, just seeing dollar signs. He's like, yep, this is it. This is it. I gotta rob this place. So Dale comes up with a plan of attack and he asks his friend Will if he would participate in the robbery with him. He's like, Will, Will, if you rob this store with me, we can make a ton of money, okay? Think of all the money we can make. It's focusing on the money side of things, right? And Will thinks, you know, hey, that's a pretty good idea. We don't want any money. And he manages to recruit another guy named Keith Roberts and three other guys from the Air Force base who were later never identified. So that's why I'm not, no idea who, who these three ghosts were, okay? But in total, there were five guys who were going to rob the hi-fi store. So Dale and Will together, they go out to the store and scope out the place. They kind of, you know, come up with some kind of plan on how they're going to do this. Dale wanted to be very thorough and have a very precise plan in place, you know, to prevent anything from going wrong, any problems. He was a planner. He, he wanted to make sure that they knew what they were doing. They wanted to go in knowing exactly what to expect, what they were looking for, how to not get caught, all before they even stepped foot into the store. And then on the evening of April 22nd, 1934, there are two young employees. One is 19-year-old Michelle and the other is 20-year-old Stanley. They're working in the store and they are closing up the shop. The store itself was still open you know, it's just like towards the end of their shift, they're doing their closing duties for the night as planned. Then storms into the hi-fi store, Dale, William, and Keith. Now the other guys, they're in the back, I'm assuming in a getaway car, but it's very unclear. I have to mention them because, you know, they were technically there, it's just, were they? I don't even know, because who were these people? Now, why didn't these guys just wait until the store was closed and then break in? That's a great question. Speculation says that, you know, maybe they were trying to avoid some sort of alarm system, or maybe, maybe, just maybe, they wanted to create violence and possibly hurt someone, maybe even murder them. But again, that's all speculation. But sometimes you need an employee to open like the cash register and stuff, right? So I don't know. Dale seems like he was the ringleader here. He was the aggressor. I don't know, they're all bad. But look, he's the one who's like holding the gun and he gets right into the victim's faces holding the gun at them. Like he's, you know, starts yelling. And then William starts yelling at them. Well, 
It's William and Dale, but they're both yelling and telling them that they better listen or that they're going to kill them. So they force the two, the two employees, to go into the back room and down the stairs to the basement. So they're leading them down there with a gun to them, right? And Dale and William, they then uh, tie the kids up. Meanwhile, up top in the store, the other two guys are like taking products and robbing the place or other, yeah, two guys. Cause like, I think there's a getaway guy too. Whatever, the store is getting robbed while William and Dale are in the basement. Again, while all of this is going on, the store itself is still technically open. So with that being said, unfortunately, a 16 year old boy named Courtney comes walking right into the hi-fi store. This is what I'm talking about when I mean wrong place, wrong time. Walt's right in there. It's said that Courtney is, was super friendly with the store employees, just people who work there, and they would let him park his car in the parking lot that was behind the store. So it's believed that Courtney must have entered the, the hi-fi store with the, the goal of walking straight back to the back room, through the exit, through the back door to get to his car, you know, like a little shortcut. Either way, it's truly unfortunate because Courtney walked right into a horror scene. Horror scene, not horror, horror. <sighs> Makes my stomach turn. Not long after walking in, poor Courtney gets a, a gun pointed straight to his face. Now, Will was the one holding the gun and because this whole thing was unexpected, Will just, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just like, I don't know. Will decides to punch him Courtney, 16-year-old Courtney, punch him right in the stomach and then knees him in the crotch. While he's down, he grabs him, drags him down the stairs that lead down to the basement and tosses him down, just sending him tumbling right down into the basement with the others. Now, it was said at this point that Keith and the other robbers, whoever they were, took off, leaving Will and Dale at the scene. The speculation that has been made here is that maybe the group of guys, they went and they robbed the store. They get all the expensive stuff, they load it into the car, and maybe they got spooked and decided to take off with what they got. Many believe that these guys were under the impression that it was just a robbery and not a full on like kidnapping and holding people hostage situation. So when they realize that this is being taken a step further, they just go boof and took off. And that to me sounds like it could be true, right? We don't really know. And we'll probably never know. Great. But all of that aside, what we do know is that inside of the hi-fi shop, it's now just Dale and William holding these three people tied up in the basement. Time is going by, hours are going by. These employees, like I mentioned earlier, are pretty young, 16. Well, Courtney is the one that walked in. He was 16, 19, and then 20. So they're very young, most likely, still live with their parents, right? So naturally, as the day is turning into night, these parents of the children, of the kids, who were working that night were getting pretty worried. Like, where are my kids? What's going on? I haven't heard a peep. It's past dinner time. Or, what? you know, a parent being a parent. So about two hours after the robbery had started, Stanley's father, his name was Oren, he decides to go down to the store and see like, where the hell is his son? Like what's going on? So what does Warren do? He drives down to the store, walks right in because the door's unlocked. And just like poor 16 year old Courtney, 
Oren walks right into the absolute chaos that was going on. Oren also gets a gun pointed right to his face, gets pulled down into the basement where he sees his son, Stanley. So Oren is trying to uh, reason with William and Dale. He's telling them like, you guys are wearing masks. We don't, we don't know what you look like. We can't identify you. Like, why don't you just finish robbing the store? Take whatever you want and we won't say anything. We won't report you. We won't say a word. Just let us go. He's really trying to reason with them and get them to just let them go. Right? Dale, though, isn't budging. He knows he's already been in so much trouble in the past. Police have his records, like his fingerprints and whatnot. So there's no way that he's just gonna get away with this. He's like, meh, I'm already in. But William, William had some different feelings. He hadn't been in a lot of trouble, okay? He's thinking, you know, I could just leave and get out of this. Um, but it was said that he started to appear, William started to appear a little bit more nervous. He was hesitant to continue on and was really wanting to back out. Again, William doesn't have any type of record, so maybe he should just take them up on their offer and just bolt it, dude. Just get out of there. So both William and Dale, they're down in the basement, like in front of these people, and they're starting to get into a verbal argument where Dale tells William to stop being a chicken and to just stick with the plan. And yes, it was said that he literally told him to stop being a chicken. He's like, stop being a chicken, man. Just shit, man. It's very juvenile. So Will is asking Dale, like, well, then what? What are we gonna do now? Like this wasn't the original plan. We we're just gonna rob a store and get money and then get the hell out of here, you know? Well, this is where Dale uses some inspiration he saw in one of his favorite movies. The movie you ask? Well, it's none other than the 1973 box office hit starring the talented Clint Eastwood titled Magnum Force, obviously. Silly us. There was one specific scene that had a lasting impression on Dale. The scene is described as, this is a direct quote, so don't get upset with me. Quote, a frustrated pimp decides to kill one of his prostitutes by pouring drain cleaner liquid down her throat, end quote. Dale wants to do this. And when Dale has a goal in mind, he goes after it. Dream big, they say. And Dale sure did, this bitch. Listen, this is where it seems like this crime was no longer about robbing the place and getting money. It now seemed like Dale was just, he went into this with like the full intention of murdering. Maybe he didn't tell that to anybody else, but it seems like this was the plan. At some point, Drano was found in the store and was poured into some plastic cups. While one person was holding the gun to the victim's faces, the other was telling the victims to drink what was in that cup. William tells the victims that the liquid was just vodka and a quote, German drug, and that it would just knock them out for a few hours while the other guys could make their clean getaway. I mean, while the guys, William and Dale, could make their clean getaway. So they go to Oren first, Stanley's dad, and they're like, drink this liquid. But he just straight out like refuses because first of all, He's not an idiot and he's not gonna drink whatever this crap is, he doesn't know. Even with a gun straight to his face, Oren tells the guys like, nope, nope, not drinking this, nope. And once again, William, he had enough. He turns to Dale, he tells him, I'm not doing this anymore, I don't wanna do this. This is not what we agreed to. But Dale tells him like, just get over it. 
Ah, people. Later on during the trial, William would say that he was intimidated and scared of Dale, and he was capable of getting rid of him too. I mean, I'm sure you could believe that. Like, Dale seems scary. So Will stops resisting and just continues following Dale's lead. I guess William hadn't seen the movie Magnum Force, so he didn't know where this was going. So time is going by and it gets to about four hours into this whole hostage takeover at the store. So remember 16-year-old Courtney? He too had a curfew, he's 16. So his parents, they were at home waiting for him because the family always had like dinner, um, dinner meals together. I'm like, what is this concept where they eat together? But the family always had dinner together. So according to his family, Courtney's mother, her name was Carol. She had this gut feeling that something wasn't right. You know, they say when you're a mother, especially you have that motherly intuition telling you that something's off. And this was happening to Carol. Something was telling her that like, something wasn't right with her son. So Carol tells the family how she's feeling. Something's not right. Something's telling me to check on our son. And she's expressing this to everyone. But the rest of the family tells her like, calm down, you're overreacting. He's a teenager. He's probably out with friends. You remember being 16. Don't worry about it. Which is like, va it's valid too, you know? Like, <laughs> look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because she could not let go of that feeling and decides to go out and look for him just to be safe, right? Normally I'm like, yes, 100%, listen to your intuition because your intuition is always right. That gut feeling, you know? It's always freaking right. But in this case, it was a trap. It was a trap. Ugh. So Carol's driving around looking for her son. She can't find him. And then she goes, decides to go by the hi-fi shop and that's where she sees his car. So what does she do? She goes waltzing right into the store. Why didn't they just lock the doors? It's like they wanted people to come in. I don't know. But Carol goes right into the store, just like the others. And surprise, surprise. She's walked right into the complete chaos that's happening. So Dale and William, they're starting to get very overwhelmed at this point. Now they're having like to tie up more people and put them in the basement. And again, like this wasn't the plan. So now they also have Carol tied up um, in the basement with the others. In total, there were now five people being held hostage down in the basement. So Carol was also tied up next to her son, Courtney. So Dale really wants this Drano thing to work, right? So he grabs a cup of Drano, puts it up to Carol's lips and tells her to drink it. Now she too is like refusing to drink it, telling him she doesn't drink. William tells her like, sorry doll, but like you're definitely going to drink this. Will goes on to tell her not to worry though, because it's just vodka and some kind of German drug, and it's just gonna make her go to sleep, and that's it. I don't know what it is with the German drug thing, like why they kept saying that. Maybe it was part of the movie, it could be, but that's what they were going with, and maybe it was just the th first thought that came to their minds. I don't know, but that's what they went with, German drug. Here's what happens if you drink Drano, according to Google. Drano is incredibly corrosive and begins to break down tissue as soon as it comes in contact with it, drinking Drain cleaner can cause severe burns, vomiting, nausea, diarrhea, chest and stomach pains, as well as difficulties swallowing. Like if you drink it, you will get damage to the mouth, throat, 
and stomach. Plus, it could also cause you to die. So it doesn't sound like a great time. Unfortunately, Carol does end up taking a large gulp of the Drano, and instantly she starts coughing and gagging. I mean, it's clear that she's in obvious pain. But after Carol drinks it, everyone else drinks the Drano one by one, and they all have the same reaction as she did. There was one exception, though. The dad, uh, Stanley's dad, Oren, he was given the cup of Drano, but he heard like everyone gagging, choking, coughing, screaming in pain. So it was clear to him that this was not some fun German drug. <laughs> nay, nay. No, of course not. So Oren, he's like, look, here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour the Drano into my mouth. And then what he did was he let it sl like slip out of the side of his mouth. So it looked like it appeared to everybody that he swallowed it, but in reality, he did not. He was like, I don't know how he did it, but he somehow, he avoided swallowing it. Oren knew like he had to act like the other victims. So he started screaming in pain, coughing, gagging, just trying to make it believable that he actually drank it. Oren did end up with blisters all up in his mouth, but he was spared the horrific burns to his throat and stomach that everybody was dealing with. Like, sounds so painful. Well, this is when Dale and William realize that they have a new problem. All of the victims were yelling, screaming, coughing, and just being loud. They did not plan for this. So Dale and William, they're both getting quite annoyed. Like, they're causing a disturbance. So their next move is to then grab some tape and tape the victim's mouth shut in order to stop them from making sounds. Great idea, you guys, wow. Unfortunately, the tape didn't work out because the drain cleaner had completely burned and peeled the skin off of their mouths. So the tape had nothing to stick to because the skin had essentially melted off. Yeah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> The visuals, gross. So this seemed to be William's breaking point. He had enough of Dale and he tells them like, I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. This is really effed up. So William tells Dale like, I'm gonna go out to the car or outside. Actually, I don't even know if they had a car cause the guys were driving the car. Doesn't matter. William's like, Dale, you need to hurry up. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm gonna give you couple more minutes to do whatever it is, but I'm removing myself. Dale is like, fine, I'll hurry up. Just give me 30 more minutes and I'll finish everything up. I'll be out in a minute. So this is when William leaves the room or leaves the basement. So Dale is trying to figure out a plan to like speed up the death by Drano process. And he was growing quite impatient. It was taking way too long. It was nothing like the movie. You see in the movie, it took literal seconds to, for this woman to die. But in real life, it was taking way too long. So Dale then goes and grabs the gun from William and goes down back to the basement where he decides to shoot everyone. So he shot poor Carol first and then she, he shoots her son, Courtney, Stanley, and then Stanley's father, Oren. And then there was one more victim left. It was 19 year old Michelle. Well, Dale's little sick ass, you know, unfortunately. Dale ends up taking her to a different part of the basement, makes her take off all of her clothes, and then he proceeds to rape her. 
for far too long, mind you, like a long time. And then once he was done, he, he took her to the bathroom and uh, watches her pee. I don't know about that one, but okay. Maybe just to make sure she's not doing anything, but like based off of the sources I was reading, it's not, I'm not, I'm not laughing at any of this. It's just so uncomfortable to like have some, have someone rape you and then watch you pee. Like what the f off with their heads. I say Dale and William off with your heads, you sick fucks. So while, you know, she's in the bathroom alone with Dale, she's using this time to like beg for him to, I don't know, take her with him. She's trying to convince him that killing her isn't the answer. Just trying to say anything to get through to him and just convince him not to do this. But, you know, Dale is on one. He says no, throws her down in the basement next to Orin and then shoots her dead. Poor thing. All of them, that's so sad. So at this point, it seems like they're all dead. They're all dead, right? But Orin was not. He was still alive. He was just playing dead. So Dale ends up noticing that Orin is still alive, like he's moving or something. So he jumps on top of him, Dale does, and tries to strangle him with a cord. Orin, God bless him, while being strangled, he flexes his neck a certain way. I don't know, so he still had like room to breathe during the attempted strangle. And this is making Dale even more frustrated. This man will not go. At this point, he takes it to an extreme. As if this isn't extreme enough, it gets even more graphic and away we go. Dale grabs a pen that was nearby, a pen, and shoves it right into Oren's ear. And then he stomps down on it. He stomps down on the pen in his ear. Do you understand this? All of this is bad, but this is like, got me up at night. Like what the fuck? <laughs> Breathe, Bailey. So he stomps down on it several times until the pen itself snaps in half, driving it straight into his throat. At this point, Dale is finally satisfied. I mean, there's no way in hell Orin could make it out from that. So then he grabs what he needs, leaves. Gone. Boof. Gone. It wouldn't take long until more people started coming out, you know, looking for the victims. This time, Oren's wife and his younger 16-year-old son, his name was Lynn, they go looking for Oren and Stanley because they're both gone, right? So they're out driving around looking and they see their vehicles outside of the hi-fi shop. So both of them, they go up to the back door and they're ringing the buzzer. You know, normally there's a little buzzer to let you know someone's at the back door. So they're ringing the buzzer, the door's locked. They're not hearing anything. It seems like it's empty, no one's in there. But not long after pounding on the door and whatnot, they hear screaming from the inside. Someone's yelling from the inside, call the police, call the police. Like, it sounds like someone's yelling this. So Lynn, the 16 year old son, ends up kicking down the door and finds the horrifying scene. I mean, do they offer therapy for people afterwards? I always wonder, like, even for police officers too, like this shit can be easy, right? Seeing just, oh, it's so sad. They should find out. I mean, if they do, well, do they? I don't know. I'm getting off track. It's just a thought I had. Cause I'm sure that 16 year old boy is just not okay. Cute. Murder. Anyway, so they instantly, no cell phones, remember? So they gotta like find another place that's open, call the police. And then when the ambulance showed up, they find that Michelle and Stanley are dead 
Carol and Courtney are barely alive and they're hanging on for dear life. So they were rushed to the hospital where sadly Carol would pass away, but her son Courtney miraculously lives. I mean, wow, you know, like it would end up taking him about 250 days in the hospital to recover, but he does end up making it out alive, which is incredible. But he lost his mom, like it's fucking sad. Now, Oren Walker, this freaking beast, okay, he was indeed still alive after all of that. Even a pen through the ear, he was still alive. And on top of that, he was actually able to speak to police right there on the scene. That's what it said, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, the pen coming through him? I hope not. <sighs> Anyways, but he was still alive and he was able to tell the police everything that had taken place, okay? Oren ends up telling the police officers the description of the men, uh, telling them that it was two black men, one who was very tall and talked a lot, that was William, and the other was shorter and had a Caribbean accent, and also glasses, that was Dale. And if you look at Dale, he has like, I think it's like mandatory for killers to wear those glasses. They always have those same big goggle looking glasses. What is that about? Is it mandatory? Now this was one of the most brutal crimes this town had ever seen. Every officer, whether they were on duty or not, every detective, every lab technician in town were immediately like all hands on deck. And then on April 23rd, two boys who lived on the Air Force base, they were digging through the trash because they were looking for soda bottles, I believe to recycle. And while looking around like in the trash, they came across two wallets, these boys. So they recognized them because this, the murder victims, their pictures were like all over the place. So they recognized them as the victims of this high profile murder. One of the wallets was from the victim, Michelle, and the other, Courtney. They end up taking this information down to the police. And with that alone, they were now able to narrow down the suspects to two people in the Air Force. So detectives contacted whoever was in charge at the base and they gave this person the descriptions of the suspects. You know, the two guys, one had an accent and glasses, the other one talked a lot and was tall. And they were told, the detectives were told that there were two guys around base who were acting extremely nervous and unusual. Their names, Dale Selby and William Andros. Now, the head detective on this case recognizes Dale's name from another murder he worked on. Meh the unsolved Sergeant Jefferson murders. <clears throat> Instantly, the detective knows like this is our guy and it wouldn't take long for Dale and William to be taken into custody. So officers had searched Dale and William's rooms and they found a piece of paper which like had a list of shops, different shops in the area. And also on that list was the hi-fi shop. They also found rubber gloves, cellophane record wrappers that said hi-fi on them. And then under the rug, they found a contract for a storage unit that was actually pretty close to the hi-fi shop. But not only that, the date listed on the storage unit contract was for the day before the murders had taken place. Sloppy, 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 sloppy. But thank God they're sloppy, right? Because then they wouldn't have got caught, but thank God. Police found the keys to the storage unit in Dale's 
pocket when they arrested him. And when police went to the storage unit, they found tons of stereo equipment, a bottle of liquid drain cleaner, and a few personal items that belonged to the hi-fi store. So everything had Dale and w William's fingerprints right on them. So it was like a pretty open and shut case, thank God. But police kept interviewing witnesses and were able to get the other guy, Keith Roberts, as well for his part in the robbery. They were never able to get the other guys though. Or maybe they did and they like were, I don't know, but they really wanted the murderers here. It didn't take long for a jury to decide if they were guilty or not. I mean, there were literally 66 witnesses and over 300 pieces of hard evidence pointing to these three guys. And in the end, they would all be charged with these same five counts of murder and robbery. Keith was convicted and given 13 years in prison. Dale and William, however, were both convicted on all five counts, three murder counts and aggravated robbery counts they would be sentenced to the death penalty. They were actually each given three death sentences each, so they were sentenced to die three times. I bet that wasn't in magnum force, huh, you guys? Dale was the first person in Utah history to be executed by lethal injection in 1987. William was executed by lethal injection in 1992. Between the two of them, it's William's death sentence that has caused a lot of hot debate. This is what the speculation says, not me, first of all. The crimes were committed in Utah in the 1970s. Utah is almost exclusively white and exclusively Mormon. Many brought up the fact that it wasn't until 1978 that the Church of Latter-day Saints even considered black people to be able to go to heaven. And that was putting things into a different perspective for, for people. Everyone agreed that the crimes itself were absolutely horrific, disgusting, and the worst of the worst, like they for sure should be punished. But the execution of William didn't seem fully right to a lot of people. William had not actually committed any of the murders and wasn't even inside of the shop when Dale started shooting and murdering the victims. Now, the victims, Courtney and Oren, the ones who survived, they gave statements that actually backed this up, that William wasn't around when the murders were taking place, and it was initially Dale. He was the true mastermind and the one who had the full intention to murder that night. William had expressed that he couldn't go against Dale because he, he too could have been killed. Yes, he should have been prosecuted for his participation in this, but the death penalty to a lot of people felt like a bit much. Now, many people came forward in attempts to get William's execution delayed or even turned around, and they kept fighting for him all the way up until like two days before his execution date. In the following years, William had expressed great remorse for his part in the torture and death of the victims, but it wasn't enough for the court. They did not budge and William was executed. His last words were, I love you, bye-bye. So, thoughts? And so that is the story about the hi-fi murders. Awful, awful story, so gross. Just is like nothing left really to say after that, right? I don't know how I feel about the death sentence because it's so tricky. Cause sometimes I'm all about like eye for an eye. If you brutally murder and rape somebody, I believe you too should be brutally raped and murdered. I think that would be really great as long as the person gets to watch. No, I'm just kidding. But like, you know, I like that thought. There are times when it's like, yay, death sentence. And then there are other times when it's like, 
I don't know. But like, this was brutal. I think they both needed to be put down because I don't know. I don't know, whatever. It doesn't matter because they're both dead anyways, but I can't imagine the lasting impact this has had on the surviving victims. And I really hope that they have been able to get help and you know, um, learn to live and live to the fullest. It's really all you can hope for, right? I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Please be safe out there, okay? Make good choices. Yeah, but other than that, I will be seeing you guys later. Goodbye.